I'm Zach. I'm a musician, a former worship leader. I helped destroy Mars Hill Church. I'm not really sure what I believe anymore, and I'm okay with that. I'm Dave. I am a Bible theology nerd, a movie buff, an occasional preacher, and as of right now, I am no longer an evangelical either. And this is Veterans of Culture Wars. Veterans of Culture Wars is a podcast where we have Wait conversations about. Oh, I'm oh. here. Oh, sorry, Dave. I know you were at T-Ball, so I got things started early, but you just showed up. Thank you. Glad to get yeah. things started. Sorry, proceed. No, I was actually at Chick-fil-A wearing clothes that I got oh. from Target. Oh, come on. Streaming Fox News and drinking Bud Light. All but at the you same just, time. You just, I just heard you say you're no longer an evangelical, so... Okay. <laughs> Apparently, that, oh, that would be a, why. Oh, that's why you're doing all the things. Yes, I've become okay. a cultural Marxist. Yes. I guess. Yes. Oh boy. Um. Yeah. So we have conversations about evangelical Christianity, and yeah, I was at my son's t-ball game, and last episode we mentioned that you recently had a vacation, Zach, where you and your wife—I don't think she wants her name mentioned on the podcast, so we'll respect that. Um, you took your family to a magical place. And I'm assuming you went to this magical place to indoctrinate them in progressive ideology. Um, so, yes, we're going to talk about that on this episode with our special guests. We're, I'm glad you said magical, because I, I have thought about how it, it, Disneyland, we're talking about Disneyland, how it does get referred to as the happiest place on Earth. And I think there is a big difference between happiest and most magical. Uh, I think... I, I think what Walt was trying to do with it is cultivate magic, a magical experience. And and so, yes, that that is, I think, what I did. If anybody uh, has been there, if you've been there at Disneyland, you know, uh, it's a fun place. <laughs> and and I knew before I went that I was going to want to talk about it a lot. And so I reached out to our friends DL and Crispin Mayfield, who happen to be appreciators of Disneyland themselves. And said, hey, when I get back, I'm going to want to talk about this a lot. Uh, would you like to come on the show and talk about primarily Disneyland? Uh, not not really sad, overwhelming, evangelical personal issues. Um, and that sounded great to us all. So if anybody's not familiar, uh, DL, which for the purposes of this episode, I assume stands for Disneyland Mayfield, is a writer and author of several books, most recently Unruly Saint, Dorothy Day's Radical Vision, and its challenge for our times. Also, uh, they have a sub stack uh, that has changed the name, but is is currently healing is my special interest. Uh, we have a theme here of changing names. Uh, Chris, uh, Crispin is a therapist, uh, a past guest. He's author of the book Attached to God, A Practical Guide to Deeper Spiritual Experience. Together, they host the possibly also changing its name podcast prophetic imagination station which just wrapped up a i'm gonna say harrowing season focused on dc talks jesus freak album and as i said they they love visiting disneyland and recently 
I think Crispin primarily started an, an Instagram account called Highly Sensitive Disney. And uh, yeah, welcome to the show, DL and Crispin. Thank you. It's really good to be here. Yeah, I'm we have very two glad to be we have back. Dave, Dave Lester, DL Mayfield, okay. and and it's about Disneyland. So Disney, it's a whole... Disneyland Mayfield. I am loving that. It actually stands <laughs> mm-hmm. for Danielle Louise, and my oh. mom was going to like call me Danny Lou growing up. Danny Lou. And oh, no. not my vibe, okay? That is not <laughs> my vibe. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Uh, I, since Crispin, we've had you on the show before, and much of your story involves growing up overseas as, as a missionary kid. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have any childhood experience with Disneyland? Because it is not just a nostalgic place for kids hearkening back to their childhood experiences there mm-hmm. is it is it that for you uh i did go when i was 12 right before okay. we moved overseas to china my grandparents took me um and i was a sensitive kid um and i was afraid of roller coasters so i just did star tours um over and over again and pirates of the caribbean um i could sort of handle uh, that initial drop. Um, like initial I just drop to, like... is is my 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 mom tells me they took me when I was two, and like talked me through all of the rides before we'd go on them, but forgot about the initial little drop on pirates, and I and I just screamed the entire rest of the ride. <laughs> <laughs> and is I that the I, one that nope. says "Beware ye who enter here, the dark tunnel that you're going down." Mm-hmm. It's been yeah. like ten years since I've. Yeah, I'm Dave, hoping to pick the family next year. Dave, Dave Hopefully is here year. to sort of like pick up information for taking his <laughs> kids, um, who in a year will be the ages that mine were when we first went in 2019, um, just before the pandemic. And it was such a great experience that we were like, let's go back as soon as humanly possible, which ended up being four years. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's it, it. It was one of those things where, like, for years and years, I was like, as a parent, like, my goal, like, when I'm like asking for a raise or whatever, like, I just want to make enough money to like be able to take my kids to Disneyland. Like, that's that's like my one parenting goal that I had for like a decade. And then my dad passed in 2018, and my mom, who had like never given anybody a present in her life, because my dad handled all of that. She had to give Christmas presents to people, and she gave me mileage to go wherever the family wanted to go on a trip. Mm. And so I chose to take the family to Disneyland, and uh, my sister ended up coming along as well with her partner. And it was the 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 best week that our family had ever had, <laughs> the most memorable week and really like got me thinking all sorts of things about about time and 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 time together our experience of life you know I'd, i've had the same job for like 16 years my day-to-day is kind of the same and so i had this feeling of looking back and like being a parent with small kids you do a lot of the same things day in and day out and things can just pass by and i, I felt like my brain wasn't holding on to a lot of things and yet for for months and months after that trip, we would have regular conversations about specific details of things that we saw and did that day. It was it was it was like you think of like your college years 
Like it's insane how much happened in what was only four years or so. It was like, how was that not, you know, a decade? And Disney that's how that time. felt. Yeah. Disney time. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something else. I don't know. It got me really philosophical. I was like, travel is a time machine. It extends our experience of life. Oh my gosh, Crispin, uh, does this sound familiar to you? I have a thing called like the last day of Disney vacation existential crisis. <laughs> Yours sounds more pleasant than mine. Okay. okay. But usually, like, I just go hard for two days at Disneyland. And then by the end of the second day, I'm like, what even does it mean to be alive? Like <laughs> this artifice we are surrounded by is both the pinnacle of human creativity and the ultimate like exclusionary capitalistic fever dream. And both cannot be true. And I must figure, and like, I just go, you know, now I know it's just called being a sensory overwhelmed and experiencing an internal autistic meltdown, but I didn't know that was happening. Um, I remember a few years ago you you talking about Disneyland on social media and getting getting some folks like being like, well, you really shouldn't be, you know, like Disney's a bad company for this and that and this, you know, big capitalistic enterprise. Obviously, there's problematic things. And as I recall, your your response was like, yeah, I think you guys are right. And I probably shouldn't enjoy Disneyland. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> no. I mean, welcome to the hell that is having ethical OCD. Yeah. And just having the gall to actually like going to Disneyland every once in a while. Um, and there's always somebody on the Internet that will make you feel bad about things you like. But that's the cool thing about getting older for me, at least, is I have learned to just be a little more chill and to recognize I really do like Disneyland. And now that I can accommodate my sensory needs, I am pleased to admit that we, I did not have an existential meltdown mm-hmm. this last time. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. I can do Disney yeah. without having that ex, ex, although I will say even this week, I'm just like, I, I don't want to give a single one of my dollars to Florida and like the whole Disney world debacle and everything going on. I, it, that's why your DL bad taste in my mouth about Disney as a corporation. I don't think they're doing enough. She's not I WDW think... Mayfield. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> ready to face Christian fascism, right? And they're also not ready to face climate change and what it's freaking doing to Florida, even as we speak. So I'm like, I guess Disneyland's my little spot to camp out. And maybe that's weird, but I think you can divorce the two. It's so hard. I love I love that thought that you brought up of, of just the tension of, I love Disneyland too. I've been, you know, four or five times in my life. I, I I went once to Disney World in Florida. Like you said, I, you know, I would take my kids to California. I don't think we're gonna go to Florida anytime soon. Um, but the tension of a huge multinational corporation that puts out a lot of great art that taps into imagination and creativity, but then, you know, they're they're kind of fighting this Ron DeSantis bill in florida that don't say gay bill they spoke out against it and then he clearly is retaliating against them the government retaliating against a private company for speaking out against his bill but they're kind of doing what every corporation seems to do where they just kind of you know you can see you can hear the consultants telling the board just pull back a little bit just just be quiet just kind of let everything blow over and everybody come back 
And yeah, it's such a it's such a good thing to think about, Danielle, just that that tension of of how we deal with that because it is a magical place. We can enjoy it. It still is a corporation run by a board, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> run yeah, by I very wealthy people. I don't know, like if we want to get into it, but since your you know podcast is called Veterans of the Culture War, like yeah, I, so I grew up the flavor of evangelical where Disney was like, oh, you know, like we might we'll let you watch a few of the movies or whatever, but like my parents made a big show of being like, <laughs> follow your heart. What a terrible liberal message and like making fun of that all the time um, because God for- forbid we would ever need to follow our hearts, right? No, we follow God, not our hearts. And like my dad did enjoy Disneyland. My mom did not. And he he took us there a few times when I was a kid. And I remember every time we walked down Main Street, my dad would turn to us and be like, Walt Disney created like the ideal version of Main Street USA. And he didn't put in a church and so like that's how we started off our every trip did you hear that too zach i didn't hear that but but that was something i was thinking about a lot when i was there is how we have over the past seven years dealt with a ton of toxic discussions about trying to bring back a a this vision of america and its perfect state which which Walt was trying to put together his old tiny vision of America there, but there's no religious component to Walt's Walt's vision there. I mean, there's, you know, if you go into like the Abraham, that, you know, great moments with Mr. Lincoln, you get some Bible verse sort of stuff that goes on in there. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's keeping religion out of it. Um, And, and so even while I was there, even like thinking of, of my memories of being there as a kid, it was memories that were totally separate from my evangelical history, which was all enveloping for my life and, 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 and formed my entire basis of interpreting the world. But for some reason I could think of this, the, the, the times at Disneyland as being totally separate from any sort of religious uh, connection. And I was talking with my therapist about that, and I wrote down a few things that that he said. He said, um, the imaginary bygone era aspect of the park is based on archetypal motifs that were at the heart of Walt's ideas for the park. Archetypes belong to everybody and to nobody. And they're things that our subconscious knows to be true and we're especially susceptible to when we're little. And Walt was consciously designing this park to be for adults and for kids. You know, the the whole concept of like, oh, you're a Disney adult is weird because he's like, yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> like there's all these stories and we're like, yeah, I, I there's parks I could take my kids to, but what am I going to do? Like it's there, there's no fun there. So he was trying to create an environment where adults and kids could be susceptible to magic and cultivate that imagination in a way that they haven't since they were kids. Um, and I thought that was interesting, um, just talking about the, these u- using these archetypes, these things that are devoid of specific religiosity and, and beliefs, but but these deeper truths that we can all connect with when we're there. Do you do you feel that when you're when you're walking well, through the, these lands and experiencing have, these things? Yeah, I, so I have a few ways I approach Disneyland. 
Um, <laughs> one is that I find my ethical, whatever we want to call it, going on in my brain at all times. So I'm really attracted to Fantasyland and all the kit, all the kitty rides, which actually mm-hmm. are some of the most terrifying rides in the park. Um, which is so funny. Like we, like have, on a thematic level, like, but also like our kids would freaking hate them. Like we just don't even try because well, the there's Snow always, White one like, is less scary now. They, but it's still, it. still, yeah. my kids would find it horrifying. It's just the nature of it because like, there are these morality plays. Really, mm-hmm. are like Pinocchio, Snow White. Peter Pan and then Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I mean, you go to hell on that ride. I I have to do that first thing when yeah. I get to the parks, okay? Because there is just because like you said, there's no religion anywhere in and, the park, yeah, and, and my entire yeah. life okay. has revolved around morality and religion and being a good person and not being a bad person. And here at the most magical, happiest place on earth, you have this bizarro little artifact right of our culture mm-hmm. several decades ago when my parents right were little kids and mr toe's wild ride people would be like yeah sure that makes sense now it's so wild that i just have to like ride this little car and end up in hell and like no but no little kids go on that right like that is not a popular <laughs> ride and i will be there every time just be like who wants to go to hell and like i just i experience this this entire like highs and lows but i do find I'll, like I'll go around Fantasyland and try and figure out like which of the seven deadly sins is that specific ride about, and I will like map it out in my head. Mm. And so I don't know about like the archetypes, but I do know about pride and avarice and sloth and gluttony, and all those all those kid rides are about those things. There's a lot of gluttony there. Pinocchio, <laughs> right. Pinocchio's. I mean, and Pinocchio's terrifying. The kids turn into donkeys they make one mistake on pleasure island and then they get turned into donkeys and they do not get turned back into boys again and again i'm a highly sensitive kid when i'm watching pinocchio i am tracking all of this mm-hmm. on the ride i'm tracking all of this and maybe not everybody's getting it but i'm just like this is a ride about if you indulge in your pleasures like you will be changed forever and it's it's scaring kids straight you know all these little rides are so i just love fantasy so while DL is doing all of that, I'm just like in my happy place because I'm like, I don't have to Trying think to about a churro. I don't have to think about anything. <laughs> like I can just like all right. What's Trying to figure next... out how to get that sword out of the stone. Right. What's the right next ride? Arthur Carousel. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a gamification of it that I mean that you D- DL are really into of like the strategy. Oh, yeah. Of like making the most of the parks. They, I mean, so there, like you said, there are a lot of different ways you approach it. I lean into the other ways. Oh, Crispin is just vibing the whole time, and he, I'm like running the show. I'm telling him what we're doing, what what we're eating, and he's just like, yes. like he just wanders around with his little camera. And he takes pictures, and he, you know, pays for most of it. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do. All I had a spreadsheet with a lot of tabs. Um. I, <laughs> And You're the spreadsheet guy. I was the spreadsheet guy. Uh, yeah, but we didn't really have to do a lot of schedule juggling because of how incredible the 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 Disney accessibility services program was. Uh, so I I have a kid with AC uh, uh, ADHD and OCD. Uh, uh, you know, he's a highly sensitive kid wore headphones most of the time in the parks and such. And 
So we were able to sign up to, to use this service 30 days before you go, you get to have a little zoom call with them and they, they talk to you and, and pre-schedule you for two rides a day with one hour return times. And then when you're there in the app, you can do virtual queues one, one, at, one at a time for, for anything. So you look and it says, okay, it's a 45 minute wait for this. I want to ride that. I'm like, okay, come back in 45 minutes and you can ride it. So we would just pick anything with a longer wait and schedule that and then do shorter waits in between. We had a, we had five day passes, which is kind of insane. And we didn't wait longer than 15 minutes for any ride, any ride. I mean, we were talking about it. It's funny because I have so much nostalgia around Disneyland, but all from my adult life, um, we were there and we were we were thinking about like what was it like being here as a kid and i remember really overstimulating being there as a kid and it's like i don't like this is supposed to be happy but like the pavement is so hot and like i'm getting drugged through a line to like you know get food and then i'm like scared to get on like is this ride going to be safe or not like i think for two sensitive kids like it it wasn't actually a good fit um, especially without like accommodations like those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's funny because it's like, yeah, I, I am, I love Disneyland as an adult, and sometimes I'm like, why are all these kids here? Like, <laughs> which is and funny. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of the kids do not seem very happy at Disneyland, and just because of the ups and downs. Like, of course, they're having a great time, then they're also having epic meltdowns, and I think. Like for us, we probably just remember the meltdowns more. And I'm like, I know I must have had fun at Disneyland as a kid, but I was very worried about a lot happening as well. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of really good conversations leading up to the trip with the kids about, hey, you know, we have a, so many great memories from last time, but it wasn't perfect. Like we got on each other's nerves. Like you kids have your own bedrooms right now. We are all going to be in one room together for an entire week. You know, rides are going to break down that you want to go on. Lines are going to be long that we don't expect. You know, there is a day that we were going to drive around and do stuff. We're like, traffic's bad. We want to do four things in one day in L.A. That's going to be difficult. Um, so we're all going to need to to be flexible and 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 try as hard as we can to get along. And and it's nice that within within the park. There's built-in ways to exercise that flexibility. Like my kids were hoping rides would break down. You know, they were hoping for an in-show exit. We watch mm. we watch TPM vids. We want to get stuck on the ride and have them turn the lights on and have everybody get out. And my kids decided we're not going to be disappointed and be like, ah, we waited and, and like have the ride get messed up. No, like we got an even more unique experience. And I'm super jealous. My 11 year old, and my wife on Peter Pan were ahead of my 13 year old and I. And the ride broke down basically as soon as their ship left. And mine never left the, the station lights went on it they worked on it for like 15 minutes and ultimately my wife and 11 year old got to go through pretty much the entirety of peter pan with the lights on 
got to Ooh. see all mm-hmm. of the all of the stuff as it really looks like uh-huh. uh, just like this open warehouse <laughs> essentially <laughs> you know like they took video and pictures and stuff and it was just the neatest thing it was you know my 11 year old's like favorite thing the whole time there uh whereas if you're not anticipating those those sort of things uh, going against plan it could be disappointing for folks and and especially for some you know, highly sensitive kids, I suppose, that that are expecting it to be a certain way and 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 have difficulty with changes to the plan. Um, but that what that was a, a really neat part of it. Um, but yeah, I'm still very jealous of. And my 11 year old's like, I wish you were in the ride because mom only took like a minute and a half, and you would have filmed the entire thing. <laughs> like, yeah, I would have. <laughs> um, here's here's a question for everybody. So. Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. And we've talked about magic and most of the magic is storytelling, you know, costumes, the experience that you have. And is there a relationship between the magic, the feeling that you would have in Disneyland and, and religion or spirituality? Is, is there a relationship there? Is that why, like Danielle was talking about earlier, Christians were so down on Disneyland in a lot of ways, specifically conservative evangelicals, like focused on the family in the nineties, complaining about new age ideology or, you know, secret messages in Aladdin or something like that. Um, you know, is there a relationship between those two? Um, does magic point to religion in some way? I don't know. What do you all think? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like, uh you were saying there's no religion at disneyland but disney is the religion and you have that feeling right like and and there is that like there's even this party that knows this is all a facade right and you kind of have to like let go at least i do right like i know that like you know there is an underside to disney in a sense uh whether it's like kids screaming or you know like there there have been um uh you know like staffing um you know staff trying to unionize abuse yeah staffing abuse and you know all those things but i think for me it's like but i don't have to believe that this is like the most good pure amazing thing like i can hold it with like yeah this is also like a corporation that's taking my money for this experience um, so it does have some similarities, but there's also this piece of like, it doesn't have to be perfect or like have total integrity in the way that like, I feel like, uh, my experience in evangelicalism was like, this is, you know, magical, it's perfect, etc. Right. And then you kind of like see behind the scenes and you're like, but what does this mean existentially? And with Disney, like, I'm not like, what do you mean? This is actually like a corporation that only cares about money. Like, that's not a surprise to me. Uh, it was a surprise to me when it came to churches that were like, this is an organization that is trying to maintain cultural and political power and get money, you know, that sort of thing. So I don't know. That's kind of my my feeling about those two pieces. Yeah, I think for me, like I'm really allergic to anybody like even talking about Walt Disney because like my little, you know, cult hackles go up. And I don't understand it because once you're in one of these parks, you recognize like this is a feat of human 
engineering and creativity. It is not about one person. And like a bird's eye view, I was like, guys, like Disneyland, Disney World, this is like our era's Great Wall of China. Like it is wild, like wild looking at humans and what we build and what we do. And it's very interesting from that perspective to me, but I am real. So like, I am sort of a Disney adult because I love planning Disney trips. I love watching Disney like vlogs. Um, two things. I am not down for Walt Disney and I don't like Disney ears, like the Mickey ears. So those are just like the two things that yeah, we, we, we didn't buy me... any of the ears. Yeah. No, no, no. I feel like, uh, <laughs> California soaring has gotten or soaring around the world has gotten to you. What do you mean? Because they talk about the different like wonders of the world. Oh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the last one is Disneyland. And Patrick, Patrick Warburton takes off the guy's Disney ears and he looks all embarrassed about having them at, at one point. It's imprinted upon me. But I but like, you know what I mean? Like the propaganda indoctrination things like I was I've lived it. And I can see elements of it when it comes to Walt Disney, the corporation. And yet when I'm in the parks, I'm able to sort of like leave the binary of like Walt Disney's only a horrible, evil corporation that owns most media in our media landscape and blah, blah, blah. And this is the most magical. They are the best at telling stories and archetype. All this stuff. I'm like, it's somewhere in between. It's somewhere in between and it's in flux. And so I think that's what's helpful for me with my kind of rigid thinking is when I'm there, I'm like, Oh, this is a confusing mix of humanity and it's really actually kind of cool like it gives me some hope for humanity which i i do struggle with yeah i think that that sort of messiness of all those things coming together i can kind of connect with that whereas church is trying to put up this this uh this veneer of perfection you know, while while saying that you know we are humans and thus we are fallen, of course, but this is this is the way to God. So this is how we can get to heaven and all this. So this is this is ultimately about perfection, perfecting ourselves, having our hearts be transformed and all that. Um, and uh, and I think there's there's control to the they're they're going to church and going to Disneyland are both controlled experiences to some extent. You know, they're 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 both taking into account how they will be experienced when people come in. But I, I feel like at Disneyland, it's less about manipulation the way you talk about, oh, we're going to change this lighting during a certain song uh, in the worship service so that people will cry and they'll end up tithing more uh, when we pass the plate after this exact song. Um, because we, we, we know based on the, the sermon, what we're going to be trying to, the emotional state we're going to be trying to put people into, uh, it, it seems like, uh, less about that sort of manipulation than, than about helping people reach a state where they are open to an experience with, with wonder, with imagination, with magic. And, and yes, I don't, I don't walk through the park going, uh, yeah, a lot of Walt here, you know, you know, Ub Iwerks was the guy that uh, drew all the uh, original Mickey shorts. Why isn't he around here and stuff? But and, and you know, I, I, I kind of agree with your assessment of like, it feels like it's our Great Wall of China. You know, if the Great Wall in China was always uh, in danger of being shut down, if if it didn't continue to make enough money, you know, <laughs> not that <laughs> Disneyland is close to that, although it, they've gone through some tough times. But, uh, you know, one of the things about the 
Great Wall of China is it's it's continued to exist for however long it's been there. I I get you. <laughs> I get the, <laughs> the the feeling of like so much commerce, so much capitalism, so much. Uh, Walt himself was uh, made a lot of of bad dehumanizing choices about how to treat his staff. Um, yeah, I I I don't know. You've probably already watched the documentary on Fast Pass, the famous YouTube yeah. documentary. Okay, yes, by Kevin Perjurer. Um, Dave, you need to watch it, okay? And okay, it's to me, it's such a good encapsulation of like why this is so fascinating, and also like there's some, you know, there's some things that should make you be like, huh? They they really are, you know, they're trying to create experience where you experience magic as a child, so that you'll come back as an adult and bring your whole family and spend thousands of dollars, like. But that's true of everything. That's true of McDonald's, right? Me and Kristen were just talking about this. Why did McDonald's invest in play places to create mm-hmm. positive connections with kids? You know, like why do churches invest so much in their nurseries and their childcare? It's like, of course, it's to get the parents, but also if you get super good snacks at kids' church, which I never did. We always went, you know, my dad was always passed by like <laughs> poor churches. So we only had like stupid animal crackers. But you know, it's all about creating these things so that you'll come back and you'll invest your money and your time into these places. And I'm like, this is everywhere. Now I know it's everywhere and that's fine. And I can make more informed choices about where I decide to put my time and money as a result of that. And I'm like, hey, we're no longer giving all of our time and resources to the church, which we did for many decades. And I feel less guilty about spending some money at Disneyland. I will say that. <laughs> um. In my family, so we might, we're thinking about going next year, maybe save some money. Um, and there is a member of our family. It's not my story to tell. So I'll, I'll probably be careful in talking about it. But we do have a, a neurodivergent member of our family. And I imagine people listening um, may have neurodivergent people out there as well. Do you have just practical advice for how to navigate Disneyland Um with the overwhelming sights and sounds for, for people who are like you know, just some good practical advice for people who have those sensory type issues. Yeah. I think if you're an adult, I think uh, autistic adults, even if they're undiagnosed, they don't even know they're autistic. If people who are somewhere in the neurodivergent, you know, spectrum, I think they already probably have some pretty good tricks and a lot of them actually can bring us a lot of pleasure. So pre-planning, like two neurodivergent people, it helps lower anxiety and it actually gives you pleasure, right? They've done all these scientific studies that thinking about vacation, planning for vacation, like fires as many pleasure receptors in your brain as actually being on that vacation. So I say lean into it, go hard into researching and planning a Disney vacation, like plan it a year in advance, watch the YouTubes, get the guidebooks from the library, like do whatever. And if there's something holding you back, you're like, oh no, am I turning into a Disney doll? It's like, who the F cares? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I would tell neurodivergent people who are adults and can plan their own trips. I'd say like, lean into it, becoming your special interest and recognize you will get pleasure from doing that. Okay. And don't feel shame and do what you need to do. Like, um, 
our kids are really different than us and we're always trying to navigate like do they actually like theme parks our oldest child does not our youngest really does want to go but one of the coolest things is they have like all these ride-through videos which zach it sounds like you guys already utilize and so we would just show our kids like the full ride-through of every ride and they would decide before do i want to try it do i not want to try it it's like course it's up to you we love planning snacks we love doing all that and it really helped our kids be like we know what to expect and again you can have a lot of a pleasure when you're like i watched this youtube about this amazing snack and then i had it and it was so good and you know it's, we leaned it's into that like, a lot this time yeah isn't we didn't fun? really make any food plans last time which may have been because of my experience growing up when, when i so I don't really remember going all that much. I mentioned that I went when I was like two, but the, the main trip was when I was eight, we went to Disney world and like that was the year my grandma died. So I think that took over a lot of the memories of that year, but we didn't like eat <laughs> at the park. My mom just had a fanny pack full of nature yeah. Valley granola That's bars. We did it. Uh-huh, that and sounds familiar <laughs> to this day. My sister will not eat nature Valley granola bars because of that trip. I won't mm-hmm. eat nutri. Wait, what would I just? What was it? Yeah, Nutri-Grain. Uh huh. Yeah. So I have refused to eat Nutri-Grain bars mm-hmm. because of that. <laughs> and when we first started go, like the first time we went, we did the peanut butter and jelly yeah, trail mix. Right. I mean, I uh-huh. think it's it's telling because we were like we were part of a mission organization, and we were supposed to fly out to L.A. for our orientation. Plan the trip and everything. That. <laughs> <laughs> Plan the trip and everything. And then they were like, oh, just kidding. There weren't enough people. It's canceled. But we're like, but we still have the tickets and everything. So we flew out and went to Disneyland. But Missionary going to staff. Disneyland when you are, you know, on staff with a mission organization, support raising means that you feel like you need to uh, well, pack. We truly didn't have money. That's true. So, <laughs> I do the parks like that still. Mm-hmm. And I think that's totally great if that's within your budget. But now I'm like, we don't want to go there unless we can actually buy some food there too. Just yeah, the first trip we're, we're like, now. we were staying at a hotel that had a free breakfast because this is before the pandemic. And we we're already like, all right, we're taking advantage of that for sure. And the I rest of the day, we'll just like up. kind of yeah. make it work. You know, we'll see what comes up. But like this time, I was like, taking taking advice from whoever would give it uh your sister Lindsay, told me to to check out the uh the 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 mango chili dole whip at um the the restaurant that's that's next to the tiki bar uh wasn't my thing but i'm glad i tried it Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but i had a whole list of of particular things that i wanted to try uh and and i didn't realize how quickly they cycle through stuff on the menu so i know there was there was a really big deal for me uh i had to get the monte cristo sandwich yeah last year when we went i knew that they had it at two places one was the the um the Cafe Orleans, which was being refurbished, and the other was the Blue Bayou, which we had dinner reservations for. I was like, going there, getting that sandwich. Get there, like, not on the dinner menu. That is a lunch-only <gasps> item. Uh... And that's a difficult place to... You can't just walk up and go in there. You're like, you gotta have advanced reservations. That's the that's the restaurant that's inside Pirates of the Caribbean, which, by the way, was a weird experience because the, the ride broke down while we while we were eating there. So the entire time, 
we had no riders come through, but we were just across the water from the little shack where where the guy with the banjo is. Oh yes. And that chair oh was just gosh. rocking wow. ominously uh-huh, in that silence the entire amazing. meal. I would have loved <laughs> Both that. of our eyes just like <laughs> lit up. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. So this time I made a reservation for Cafe Orleans and I got myself the Monte Cristo and it was wonderful. And we all agreed that if we were to return to any of the restaurants we ate at this time, it would be that one. Even though we were able to eat at the very difficult to eat at Trader Sam's Tiki Bar. I don't know if you know yes. this one. Yeah. Why is it we difficult love... to eat at? Well, I found out when I got there, there's like 12 tables. <laughs> it's oh. really, really small. And so restaurant reservations are available 60 days out. And it's like... 6 a.m. in the morning, they open up, and like within two minutes, Trader Sam's is taken. Really, within like 10 seconds, Trader Sam's is taken. Mm-hmm. So wow. for like a week, when when our trip, when the day of 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 the trip that corresponded with this was was 60 days out, I'd get up at like 5:45, be ready to go. Couldn't get anything. Next day, get up at 5:45, <laughs> and I and then I got us one, and. Um, yeah, Trader Sam is a, a character referred to in different parts of the park. As, you know, on the on the Jungle Cruise ride, he's somebody that's brought in cargo and 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 various sundries and things are are strewn about that are have markings of you know this is a box from, supposed to go to Trader Sam or whatever. Um, and so this hotel is is at the Disneyland. Sorry, this this restaurant is at the Disneyland Hotel. And uh, I just remember they had they, they they have a whole bunch of fun drinks that you can get that come in souvenir uh, glasses that have no prices on them. Um, and once I got the bill, I realized why they didn't put any prices on them because nobody would order them. Um, and it was the most expensive meal of my life. Um, but we now have like a like porcelain kraken bowl that we can put like nachos <laughs> in and and another and that was like it was like 65 dollars for this one drink it was nuts drive um, down to portland and i will make you a drink in that um in your kraken bowl loves making tiki drinks well it's how i deal with we have a, my... a, a tall skinny tiki tiki uh glass as well so yeah I, I, yeah I it's, it's how i dealt with like because danielle I mean, DL has the uh, like the existential crash the last day. I'm fine, and then the days following, I'm like, "What is there to live yeah, for if Disneyland? <laughs> if I'm not at Disneyland?" They're... And I'm ready to go back to the real world. I really am. And so it's funny. Like Crispin is definitely the one that has the post vacation crash, and I'm just like, mm. I need my little room and my bed and my cats, and like I'm done spending money now. So that's how I am. Yeah, but I deal with it through making tiki diving drinks. into tiki drinks. Okay. <laughs> See how I've been dealing with it is by putting together the book that I'm going to have printed of the pictures of the trip. Um, so mm-hmm. that that has not been ordered yet, but I've been able to to do a little bit of that uh, every other day or so. I'm, I'm trying to take my time so I could you know really stretch it out because uh, yeah, you're writing like planning it that was you know months and months and months and super fun and 
watching videos with the kids regularly leading up to it and oh you know this upcoming you know announcement and you know the mickey and minnie's runaway railway is going to be coming out and we're going to be able to go on that and uh actually we we hadn't done any of the star wars stuff because we purposefully went like the month before it opened last time mm-hmm. figuring we'd get lower crowds that way and it worked out really really well um so we had a bunch of new things uh to try but yeah tons of ad- advanced anticipation building up that and then afterwards yeah a real bummer to go back to the real world but trying to stretch it out by by recognizing that last time the the big takeaway I had from it was these were like incredibly strong, detailed, powerful memories that the whole family shared. We all had strong memories of this and having a, having a book made really pointing out particular moments and things. Actually, I, I, in my spreadsheet, I, I logged like all the rides we did in order, um, which with that DAS program, we were averaging 10 rides a day um with plenty of wandering around going back to the hotel and like we didn't even lot and we didn't stay at the parks past like seven or eight really like the kids were pretty tired by then Mm -hmm. and two of the nights they had like ticketed things after eight but um so yeah we we just we did we did so much and and so i really enjoy getting to to put the book together to to have it be in chronological order of all the stuff we did and be able to to remember all those things very specifically um i don't know it's it's just it's so fun to go over it with the kids and be like all right which which of these rides were your favorite and which which of these would you not want to do last time hey you were a lot small you had a smaller body last time how did it feel this time being a larger person riding this ride, it was pretty scary and moved you around a lot last time. How'd you feel this time doing those comparisons? I don't know. I like ritual. I, I I think that's one of the things about, about religion that attracted me was, was having those rituals. And, and I like the idea of returning to a place over and over and experiencing it at different times in your life as you change. And uh, so I, I hope that my my kids and I, as I've been really, really purposefully avoiding the Dobsonian parenting style of my parent and trying to cultivate a friendship with them now because it doesn't undermine my authority, uh, <laughs> because that doesn't matter to me. <laughs> um, I'm hoping that that will continue to go there uh, when they're when they're older and and so far everybody seems to be on board for that plan have you been to um i guess two questions when you were when you were in China, did you were any of the parks in China open there? Did you ever go to any of those? And have either of you gone to like religious theme parks? 
so we went together to Hong Kong Disney oh. um, right after we got married in 2008. It was the first Disney park we ever went to together. Mm-hmm. I made him go because I was so excited. And I did not believe him, nor did I take his sensory issues seriously. And I thought he was kidding that he's like, I don't do rides. Roller coasters make me so terrified. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) nobody actually feels like that because I'm me and I don't always understand um, other people. So we went and it was really fun for me. I don't know how you felt about it. Yeah, it was. I mean, that was the first time that I did Space Mountain. And I actually was like, yeah, this is okay. I can do this. So that was really fun. I remember eating dim sum in um, Cinderella's castle. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was pretty low key. It's a smaller park, um, but it was really fun. And nobody likes the thrill rides, at least when the time we were there. This is what, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so people were scared. They didn't want their kids to go on Space Mountain. So like the line for Winnie the Pooh was like three hours long, but you could just walk on to Space Mountain. And we're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But I, so I forced Christian to do it and he got over some of his fears. And now... He even went on the Incredicoaster, you guys. It was a big deal this mm-hmm. year. Face oh, well done. I really like that. Yeah, last last time I was the only one that went on that. This mm-hmm. year, my wife joined me. Our 11-year-old kept going back and forth and ultimately decided not to. Uh, and our 13-year-old uh, has a very clear understanding of what he does and does uh, not uh, think yeah. he will enjoy. And so he was not uh, in on that ever. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't... Yeah, I... I I think the Incredicoaster is a very smooth ride. Uh, but Christian hates being inverted. Okay, can I yeah. ask a question really quick? Top of your head, what's the scariest ride at Disneyland? Both parks. Uh, one correct ride. answer. Okay, well, <laughs> you're not going to like this because the ride that, that was the scariest for me, and scary does not mean bad, but the ride that I also did not like, the, <laughs> that I liked the least, <laughs> was was the the uh mission breakout the former tower of terror ride which oh. is, that's like your favorite ride right wait, wait uh-huh. they, cha- they changed that it's not the tower Oops. of terror anymore correct yeah, yeah they made it way better so much better oh okay the sea, i haven't been in 10 theme, years so i've never been on the original version impeccable. yeah the queue the line is like amazing it we is yes yeah, the queue was amazing I absolutely loved everything leading up to going on the ride itself. So you hated the ride. Yes, which I also will say the same about the Mario Kart ride at Universal. We did one day there and the queue was unbelievable and the ride sucked. Interesting. (laughs) It was so boring. Like you could have walked faster than these cars went. Uh, Oh, no. The tech was just wonky. It was it was really disappointing. My um, kids are going to be all over that because they are huge Mario Brothers fans. Just oh, huge. sure, sure. Uh, yeah. But as far as scariest, you know, let's see. I'm it's not really a lot in the main park that I think of. Yeah, as I'm thinking scary. of one. It's at California Adventures. I know Crispin knows what I think of. Maybe. You're looking at me like yeah, no. I, I feel okay, lost. I'm to say mine. Oh, I know what you're thinking of. Yes. I know my Goofy. family's terrified of Goofy's Sky School. Well, that is really scary. I did face uh-huh. that, but it's it's the Ferris wheel and it's the ones that oh, swing. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I wasn't thinking of that thought, as a ride. I thought but... right. I was going uh-huh. to die. I've never been so scared. I was like, how is this happening at a Walt Disney theme park? Like, yeah. how am I this terrified? I had not done that before this trip. 
Uh, my 13 year old also chose not to ride on that one. And my 11 year old's like, we're doing the one that, that moves the swinging gondola. So, so it's oh a Ferris wheel. Those, you know, it's Ferris wheel, but in most Ferris wheels, you know, you, you have, you have the, the outer edge cars that, that they could swing a little, but there's on this one, there's an inner loop where there's a gravity based system that when it, turns enough they slide and do this exaggerated mm -hmm. rocking and like this loop to loop almost it's yeah just, the motion is so, <laughs> and you're so high up you're so high and up you're and in there's there no with strangers there's nothing to hold strangers. on to inside yeah. there's, uh -huh. no, there's no handles there's no nothing like you're just on an open you're bench just like a rodent in a cage yeah. being dangled over a pond and i just kept thinking like i'm as the larger person i'm glad that my wife and kid are on the other side. So we're sort of balancing weight wise uh -huh. each other out. Um, but yeah, all these thoughts are like, what happens if like everybody's on one side? Like, you know, you start to question whether, whether it's uh, safe or not, which of course it is, you know, but that's, but that's part the of the thing. That, that happens to be at Disneyland where I'm like, am I going to die or not? Do I trust this ride or not? Do I? And so I'm like, I don't like this feeling. Yeah, I've always worried that I'm going to get decapitated on Space Mountain. Yeah, he but... yeah I was going to say Space Mountain is the one for me, like even as a kid. And just because like you can't anticipate the turns because it's in the dark. Mm -hmm. And so right. I just don't like the feeling of just getting whipped around with no ability to anticipate. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm 41 now. I don't know how much longer I have before I can ride that and it'll like tweak something. <laughs> you know? Okay, can I give a little neurodivergent tip here? Okay. So one Absolutely. Of why I think I've always loved roller coasters, which does not really make sense for being a shy, quiet, overly sensitive child, is um I, I learned early on like it's okay to scream, right? On a roller coaster. And actually when you scream, that allows your body to release all that tension and all that anxiety that you've built up during that ride and you let it out. And it's a way your nervous system is regulating itself. And in like our sort of intense capitalistic Western society, we don't get many chances to be weird and regulate our nervous system in the way we do when we're kids, you know, when we just like move all funny, we make weird noises, we do stuff like, so screaming on roller coasters, literally, will help you calm down. It will help you release energy. It'll give you a sense of euphoria because you've just done something that was really kind of intense to your nervous system. You scream and you release it and then you get that euphoria. So I tell people like, scream your bloody heart out, okay? And just don't be afraid to let it out. Again, that goes back to my earlier thing. It's like, don't contain what your body wants to do on a roller coaster. Like, let it out and you will feel good. If you contain it in and bottle it up and try and just like push through a ride, you're going to be miserable. Um, and that's kind of what I do on the Matterhorn because how can you not? It's so <laughs> jangly and, right. you know, and I don't get enough chance. I don't scream enough in that ride to like release all the tension. But I'm like, I'm such a huge fan of roller coasters. If you're somebody who has anxiety and all this, stuff, I'm like, just get on one and just scream your little heart out and, and you will feel better. And that's that's really interesting because I found myself thinking about about my body as I'm experiencing these rides, um, about being embodied. I was thinking about being present. It's like impossible to not be present when mm -hmm. you're at Disneyland. Yes. You're, take, exactly. you're right. taking yeah. everything in. Mindfulness, baby. It, that's no, what it, it, is. It, it really is. And and you know, part of that is in the planning, you know, the berm 
blocks out all awareness of the outside world. You know, the only thing that exists is Disneyland when you are in there, but Mm -hmm. you are, you are there, you are present, you are experiencing things that you are experiencing. You're taking it all in. And I've, you know, so much of the stuff that I talked about in, in religious trauma therapy has to do with getting in touch with my body Mm -hmm. and not, not, shutting that whole conduit Mm -hmm. down and i know you've talked about that a lot that so much of being raised in evangelicalism is 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 you can't trust your body uh you know the the heart is deceitful you know you're you know you 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 can't you can't trust what's there only only what you hear from god only what you read in the bible can be trusted and and so that relationship between your yourself and your body kind of it doesn't it, it either atrophies or or it doesn't um get strengthened and 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 that's kind of where i was at i feel for so many years where you know my my wife was having to to get on me to take medicine if i was sick because i was hardly paying attention to the signals my my body was giving me that it needs to be tended to you know mm-hmm. and getting out of that system i'm trying to care for myself more and listen to myself more and and experience what my senses are experiencing and and that's also you know bringing in just this this idea of of what my five senses can experience is what there is so much of this life we were told is just nothing compared to what we will experience in heaven. You know, this, this, this entire life is a blink of an eye. It's nothing compared to eternity. And the best steak in your life you ever had is nothing compared to what you will be eating at God's table in heaven. <laughs> and it's sort of, you know, it leads to, the, you know, it's, it's the opiate of the masses idea, right? You know, like, like right. we're, we're willing to put up with a shitty existence. Oh, really depressed people believe this theology this is my new like hill to die on right like life is pretty shitty for you if as a way to get through it you keep telling yourself when i die then i will experience pleasure well and it makes sense because I did that, though. <laughs> like like we're talking about like in evangelicalism you do get so you're in your head so much and you're in you're you know you're talking to you're you're for me, anyway, I will say, you know, you're talking to God, but in this in this way of like in your head, in your mind's eye. Yes, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're worrying about like, am I doing it right? Like, you know, and it's really hard to actually be present in your body and in your, you know, surroundings, which I think is part of why, you know, thinking about these memories, I, I think there's a lot of like strength of memory or like, you know, it creates, like you said, Zach, oh, like you're present, right. Really detailed memories because you are really present. Yeah. And, um, and it's interesting because we need, uh, we need those to go back to, like, we need, we need positive memories to go back to. Yeah. Right. Exactly. To give us like a sense of like, you know, I can go back to this like positive experience in the past in my mind, going back to the mind's eye. Um, and as back to the, the Jesus, Jesus as freak to the forbidden eye, because you don't <laughs> right, want to yes. look at that, uh, right. Little, yes, uh, Indiana exactly. Jones adventure, uh, that ride is you. to a cult. And so we don't ride it, Zach. 
Yeah, we didn't even go on it last time. We didn't get to write it on it under. last time because it broke down when we were like getting into the car. Oh, oh. yeah, it was closed when we were there. So that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, thinking about that that memory piece, one thing I was thinking about as you were you were talking about the nostalgia is like what's been really hard about leaving evangelicalism is like I have lots of positive memories or kind of positive is the right word. But like, I would say, yes, like I do have these like memories, this nostalgia around like certain music, et cetera. But it's also sort of been poisoned now um, because of the associations and what it, and the, the like, it's not just nostalgia. Like if I listen to Michael W. Smith, it's yes, nostalgic, but it's also like a reminder of like that, that spiritual, like. Uh, religious context that I was in, you mm -hmm. know, and it triggers that same, those same thoughts that I don't want to keep having over and over. But I also want to be able to go back to childhood at the same time. Right. And so I think Disney is a good example of like creating though, you know, new positive memories. Um, Cause it, yeah, it's just, it's really hard. And I think, and that's been like one of the biggest things for me, cause I love music. Um, is like this like the the music that feels so nostalgic for me also isn't music that is like has an entirely positive impact on me anymore um and so yeah but i listen to uh the you know music from disneyland a lot so i'm just replacing <laughs> it i know poor crispin i will say another thing i sort of joke about but i'm sort of not joking is people are really into disney i'm like Oh, what childhood trauma did you have? Because, um, you know, me and Crispin, that's a pretty shitty stuff happened to us when we were kids. And being and and we didn't get to be kids. I was parentified at an extremely young age and indoctrinated into a high control religion. My mom was obsessed with the end times. Uh, you know, all sorts of shit that you're like, oh, that's so interesting. And then you, if you think about it, like that's like a torturous experience for a, a autistic child to live through. So. I have all that and I I so enjoy the experience of just getting to feel like a kid at Disneyland. And it doesn't last long, it doesn't last the whole day, but there's enough there that I'm like this is really nice <laughs> that I can come here and I can do this and I can reclaim this. And I do think the Disney adults, the ones who love to go and have a great time like again when they're on the rise, they are laughing, they are screaming, they're like totally present in their bodies they are enjoying their food like they are loving it like and i that I present thing is so cool. it's the key to, to build, so so yeah, much to of build it up this is pleasurable i am going to be here in this moment and i'm mm -hmm. going to enjoy it and it's like i don't have many of those skills because evangelicalism like no the opposite of that needed to be instilled in me um always defer your pleasure right until heaven until this mm -hmm. other time like always self-sacrifice and always make sure you're checking in with god a million billion times um throughout mm -hmm. the day so yeah and i i think i, I think sorry i would just just i think the the disney adult thing the sort of mocking people for enjoying that is i think not recognizing or denying the 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 aspect of how they are being present in doing that because it is it I think what it is saying is that you are you are stuck in your childhood you are you you can't move past your nostalgia 
and your your memories of how great things were before life got more complicated. Um, and but we're saying is is no, we're it yes, it lets us tap in to that that pure part of ourself that is childlike and and yes, there's a connection to the past there, but it really is about the present and and experiencing it in the most open way we can. Hmm. Um, Danielle, I want to go back to what you were talking about and um, just out of curiosity with high control religion, how you define that and what what components go into a high control religion. I've, I've read you your blogs writing about that as well. I find that very interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I have like the definition uh, right off the bat. I know there's this really famous model, the bite model, right? Stephen Hassan's. And I think you can look into that, but basically it's about uh, you know, trying to control a person's behaviors, thoughts, and actions. And I think the thing that's most insidious for me about white evangelicalism and why I call it a high control religion um, is because of the emphasis on controlling the thoughts, right, of the people within it. And this came to me from my parents and my dad was also a pastor. I was homeschooled, so I didn't have access to a lot of other adults, but the ones I did have access to all reinforce, like the most important relationship I developed was with a God inside my head and every thought, every action, every desire, everything must match up to this God who of course was exactly like what my parents believed. And so not everyone grows up like that. And so that to me it alone is like, that's brainwashing. And that like, if you grew up like that, you're going to struggle to be in your body. You're going to struggle to know your own thoughts, emotions, desires, wants, needs. And, and that's actually because that's how they wanted it. And white evangelicalism or any high control religion, there's a, a ten, there's a bent towards authoritarianism, right? You obey God in your head, and then you also obey the pastor and the politician who says, we're also following this same God. And so I think we've just seen it, you know, all throughout human history, this happens. But white evangelicalism is a really interesting um, sort of modern iteration of a, a you know a huge widespread cult is what I would say, but that kind of annoys people. So I guess high control religion is better, and it really <laughs> does. It really is about the thought reform and the thought control tactics behind it. Hmm. And another question, which uh, may sort of piggyback on that one, but for for parents, and this one's personal to me, like for parents who like, you know, faith in Jesus is important. And then, you know, but raising a kid who is neurodivergent um, within a religion. And um, this is something else that I was really interested in in reading some of your blogs, trying to do that in a healthy way that doesn't instill um, behaviors later on in life that a child would would regret or feel like their childhood was taken from them. Uh, do you have any practical advice for me and for, you know, people listening that may, may be in the situation as well? Yeah, I think, you know, neurodivergent or not, parents, like the most healthy thing you can do, right, for your kids is to create an environment where they can question you and they can disagree with you and their autonomy will be respected um, within these conversations, especially around things like ideology, worldview, religion, politics, um, of course, like as a parent, you're a human, you're going to have your own perspective on things. Uh, but 
as long as you're creating an environment where a child can voice their concerns, can show up with their true feelings, and they feel safe to do that with you, I think you're golden. And kids are going to change. They are going to be exposed to a wide variety of things. And the less of like a high control religious environment somebody's raised in, especially if they're neurodivergent, they tend to be able to remain in the faith. But if neurodivergent in particular, if we find ourselves in places where we aren't allowed to voice our dissent or say like, hey, this doesn't seem to match up. You say you love Jesus and yet like you super hate poor people. Like what's that about? Like if we're not able to voice that, it builds up over time and, and we tend to end up leaving the faith altogether. I, there's a really great uh, article that just went up on my Substack by a, a really interesting autistic man named Jonathan Mackney. And he has been doing all this research on this. It's very fascinating. It doesn't like autistic people are less likely to be Christian, but that's mostly due to the kinds of Christianity that are so prevalent in Western Christianity. And that is evangelicalism, but there's plenty of neurodivergent people that find, you know, religious homes within more mainline denominations or places where there isn't such a huge pressure to conform. And they allow you to explore the mystery of faith. Um, and that was not how I was raised. Mystery was, you know, we talked about mystery, but oh my God, there was no mystery. Yeah. Well, the, there, there is always an answer to the mystery because the, the answer to every question is Jesus. <laughs> my you know? dad always knew all the answers to the mysteries. Isn't that the, interesting? The, the mystery <laughs> of the donut-shaped hole or whatever. I want to go back to the donut man and be like, donuts are delicious. And a hole is a part of that. But so, like, so, so, okay, we can't get into all that. I'm not going to go into the donut man rant. Right well, now. I wanted to say about that, the 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 piece that, that went up on your on your blog today, I liked uh, what he had to say. I thought I thought it was really interesting what he had to say about autistic people when they do leave church. The process of leaving for them tends to be much faster. Um, something about the way that the cognitive dissonance builds up for them that can't be handled uh, and can't like. Could could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's it's different for everybody, but sort of like. Things that wouldn't trouble a neurotypical person to the point where it would cause them like mental anguish or like an OCD thought loop or something that can impact autistic people on that deeper level, right? And so doctrines become physically painful, right? And we'll just like think about them. Oh, how can a loving God send people to hell where other people are just like, I don't really think about that, you know, yeah. like I'm just a Christian and I'm just like, why are you not a freaking missionary? Like, if God is going to send people to hell, if they don't believe this, we everything in your life should be centered around evangelizing people, which is what I did when I was a Christian. My entire life was centered because that was the only ethical I felt, you know, response you could have. And so Crispin has been privy to this because he has his own form of neurodivergence, but like there's just these varying levels. And so for me, I tried so hard. And I think the research has shown, right, there's been a huge, there's, Vast numbers of people leaving Christianity, vast numbers of people leaving evangelical Christianity. 2016 was a huge pressure point for many people. Donald Trump, every 81% of white evangelicals voting for him. That was a, that was the cognitive dissonance where they're like, I can't do this anymore. I am done. And I know many people for me, that pressure point, I just internalized all the shame, all the cognitive dissonance. And I thought, well, it's my job. I have to get my people. And so then I went on this 
spree of writing and speaking and arguing and pleading with evangelical Christians for the next seven years of my life until finally in January, I was just like, I am done. I, I literally am going to kill myself if I keep doing this. Like this is the level of shame and pain. And, and I don't know if you guys know this, but um, white evangelicals are kind of like not fun to chat with all the time about things like immigration and Black Dave Lives excluded. Matter yep. and COVID, taking COVID <laughs> seriously. Like I had just, I took the cognitive distance of all those things. I took the burden on myself. Like if only I could say it better, then Christians would live up to their stated ideals, which autistic me would love. If Christians lived up to the ethics of Jesus, I mean, I would, I'd be a, I'd be back in there, you know, but they don't. And so I, I, I deconverted quite suddenly in January. It was a shock to me. It was a shock to Crispin and actually like, yeah, now looking at like Jonathan's research, he did. I was like, Oh, <laughs> I yeah, stick like that's okay. Okay. Here we yeah. Go. I mean, I think that like, there are, you know, sometimes it gets like uh, put in terms of like all or nothing thinking, but I think, um because i know dl um you mean autistic I, people have yeah, yeah. nothing uh-huh yeah i know dl i also like work with a lot of autistic folks um as a therapist and like i really like it in a in a framework of integrity and that's what i see with danielle is like they're like i have to have integrity like i can't say that i believe this thing when i'm acting in this other way like I can't, you know, like I can't keep going to this church if it's against my values that I really know that I hold or that sort of thing, which I, I think is a gift. So, yeah. So we tend to be all in and then all out. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of pastors, a lot of theologians, a lot of seminarians, a lot of missionaries, they are a lot of times neurodivergent people. And, you know, I, I you've probably in your own life have seen people kind of flame out spectacularly after being people who are all in. And I think a lot, a lot of, of volunteers certainly are neuro neurodivergent people in churches. Yes. Absolutely true. On yeah. neurodivergent labor and they exploit us. They exploit us because we're true believers. Yep. And I sometimes <laughs> when I look at evangelicalism, I'm like, it seems like it's half neurodivergent people, 20% narcissists, and then 30% are people just sort of chilling, you know? And yeah. Jessica, Jessica Johnson's biblical porn book on Mars Hill had a lot on the, the free labor aspect of, of that part of evangelicalism. Yes. Um, but DL, to connect this with your own story, because it's a it's an interesting trajectory with your writing and um, your, your faith journey, um, because the first book I read by you was The Myth of the American Dream, which mm -hmm. as soon as I saw this book and saw the title, I said, I have to read that book. And mm -hmm. so I read that book, and now you've written your recent one that came out, I think, last year, right? Unruly Saint. Yeah, November. Mm -hmm. November on Dorothy Day. Mm -hmm. And I was noticed, I'm not quite finished with the book yet. I really like it. Um, but there is this this through line of it seems like you're just wrestling with what it means to be a person that lives in America with we have a lot of wealth and then there's a lot of horrific poverty. And obviously as you were writing these books, you're writing as a person of faith. And, and now we've heard, you know, in January that, that changed. Um, but it still seems like that, that wrestling match is going on in your soul. Like what, you know, what does that mean to live here with the horror out there that we see in our society that, that Dorothy Day experienced in her day um, that we see today? 
you want to talk about your relationship with this book? You it came out in November, and how has that changed for you along with your faith transition? Yeah, it's been very inconvenient to <laughs> write, you know, publish a book on a religious figure and then like deconvert, you know, less than two months after it comes out. And I think I was just waiting. Again, this is a little bit autistic integrity thing. I knew I had signed a book contract. I actually signed the book contract in like March of 2020 to write a book on Dorothy Day because I was obsessed with Dorothy Whoa. Day. I was, she was my special interest. I was just like knee deep in her diaries and letters and like seeing how that matched up to her autobiography. And da -da -da. so when my agent's like, do you have any book ideas? I'm like, I only care about this thing. So if somebody will publish this, then yeah. So then I researched, I wrote a biography. I'd never written a biography before. I stressed myself the f out trying to do a great job writing a biography i do think i did a good job um but the second it was published and i felt like i had done my due diligence by my publisher which i was a horrified of like i can't say i'm not a christian and i can't delete my twitter account which are the two things that had been sort of weighing in the back of my mind until this book has been out for at least like a month and a half two months and then after that i deleted my twitter and then i was just like i'm done talking to god like i am done like done 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 i'm not checking in with god i'm not checking in with jesus i'm not going to see if i'm living an ethical life i'm not going to think about what dorothy day would do in this situation like all these things that under the guise of religion had just been feeding my ocd um i i stopped doing and i immediately started feeling better and not wanting to die anymore which was great so it's it's hard because I love Dorothy Day so much. I think she's such an important religious figure. And I really wanted to write the book because she's in the process of canonization and they just want to make her out into this really pious old lady who loved Jesus so much and she loved the poor when really she was this radical anarchist propagandist who wrote this newspaper that is like so incredible. And so mm. I'm so proud of all that. And yet I discovered quickly when the book was published, there's there's like two types of people who want to talk to me about Dorothy Day. One is Catholics and they're kind of mad at me. Two is evangelicals who are looking for a person that they believe is following Jesus that kind of makes them feel like shit. Because if they feel like shit, they'll try harder to love the poor, give away their possessions, like find something else. And I was like, I have no interest in talking to any of these people. Like, I'm sorry, I am leaving this place like i can no longer feel like shit about myself and dorothy day was a way i did that no i mean there's no way around that but i'm curious if crispin wants to jump in and say anything because what yeah what do you think about the experience of me writing that book yeah i mean i i think like uh i think you two that... are writing your books at the, at the same time right your yes. crispin's book would have been overlapping with that right yeah, I mean, originally we there was some issues around like release dates because they were going to be within the same month, and we were like, we can't do that as a family. <laughs> so, well, I mean, got pushed back, and yours got pushed earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting to think about uh, what Dave said or, or initially about wrestling with the fact that there's you know such devastating poverty, and um, and I, I think that uh, it can be you know, one way that people deal with that and that I saw you deal with that and myself a, a little bit as well um, is to be like, I am responsible for fixing this. Mm -hmm. 
and like the enormity of that problem ever i think everyone needs to like think about like what are ethical ways that i can live um but you know really if you have ethical issue you probably don't need to think about it anymore i'm gonna just say that (laughs) i think we just need to spread it out like i dorothy day is a wonderful person but like i wish she didn't live in such anguish in her own life and i wish there was just like yeah a spreading out of an awareness of a responsibility and what we owe each other right dorothy day like had the same questions that these existential moral philosophers right that have shaped parts of our civilization have had and she just went and lived in new york city and you know worked with houseless people but so i still think she's such a fascinating person but it's very disturbing to me to see how we treat religious figures um and just again there's no place for dissent like dorothy has to be a saint she has to be a perfect christian and i'm like her own kid was like the more catholic my mom was like the less I could be around her. Like it totally took her away from me. And, you know, I was just like, Mm. if we can't take a person's whole humanity and like what their actual child has to say about their piousness, like what are we even doing here? And it, it kind of helped me wake. I I say Dorothy helped me figure out. I wanted to be me. I didn't want to be Dorothy day anymore. I wanted to be me. And it's partly because I fell so in love with Dorothy and she was so her. And I was like, can i be me it is so interesting because like up until you worked on writing the book you wanted to be dorothy and then like for from like what 2008 to like 2020 oh i was trying right as hard as i could yeah for like over a decade and then like digging into her i was like she's a wonderfully complex human and she is not me and if and if you had committed to to you know if you'd ultimately landed on the i want to be as much like Dorothy Day as possible side, you you probably would have been more inclined to accept uh, the condemnation of folks uh, about your your enjoyment of Disneyland. Uh, yeah, Dorothy Day would not have fun She would not. I'm, I'm trying Let to picture her on you. the Matterhorn, and I'm, it's it's very <laughs> difficult. Like like part of me wants to be like. Uh, yeah, what do you what do you think uh, Dorothy's favorite ride at Disneyland would be? And the answer is no. Oh, none. Mr. Toads. Uh, that's oh. what I say. But, you know. Like, even it's a be... small world? Could she like it's a small world? No. I, I love it's a small world. I'm not saying that cynically. Okay. On the, you know, plur- a pluralistic world. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why I do try. I mean, in the myth of the American dream, there's I have a whole chapter on Disneyland. Because I just want to make sure people know, like, I am a real human. Uh, this is because I am such an intense little weird activist, but Disneyland's yeah. helps has always helped kind of ground me. And I'm a silly little person. I'm just a silly little person, you know. And Dis- Disneyland yeah. reminds me of that. I just have to say, Zach has got to win some kind of podcast award for that callback, that bringing Dorothy Day <laughs> back to Disneyland. Uh-huh. I've been thinking about well, this the whole time. I was like, oh, yeah. if we bring that was up the in my book, notes. how is it gonna? How is it gonna? <laughs> Dorothy, I googled. I tried to see if she'd ever like made a comment about it, and mm-hmm. I I didn't see anything. Um, if you had run across that, the in, Catholic in your... workers in general, not fans. Yeah, so. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't think so. Well, DL Disneyland Mayfield and Crispin. Thank you so much for coming on this show. Um, I don't know how many people are going to listen to the whole thing. Um, I hope they do. 
because we didn't we didn't just talk about Disneyland, but Disneyland it's a, it's it isn't just Disneyland. It's a bigger thing, and uh, I feel like it sounds like for 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 you and for me helps us get in touch with with our understanding of our true selves, and that's mm-hmm. really nice and something that we should pursue. Um, yeah, well, Disney's all about magic and stories and. I ran across a Joan Didion quote about human. I'm going to butcher it, paraphrase. We're, we're humans and we all need stories. We all tell ourselves stories or whatever her famous quote was. I think Alyssa Wilkinson is writing a book about Joan Didion right now. Oh, she is, so, yeah. So that'll be great when that comes out. Um, but yeah, we need those stories and we need to feel some magic. It's true. So, uh, also, there's no guns allowed in in Disney parks, which is nice. This this is very true. They they do have that weird, um, like uh, shoot the ducks. Go. What do you, what do you oh. call? It? Yeah, uh-huh. you know that that fake little rifle game that actually like takes oh. quarters. Like right, <laughs> we didn't do it this time. We did it last time. We're like, why? that feels weird that that's still there, but yeah. Actually, my favorite on that, yeah, you you can't take guns in a Disneyland. Sorry, That's what makes it. No, I love it. it. I love it. Set up. It's, it's great. great. <laughs> this is 2023, and I'm an anxious person. I think about these things. So, my 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 favorite joke of all the times I've gone on the Jungle Cruise ride uh, has has been when we're going past the hippos, and and the skipper says one of them looks like he may be about to charge. And they'll have different things that they do. But that last in 2019, when we went, our skipper, one of those times, he said, don't, don't, don't worry. And grabs the pistol that's there at the front of the boat. And he waves the pistol and goes, shoo, shoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Good. To Good. do another, to do another callback to the very beginning of the episode, when we were going through the culture war stuff. Yesterday, I was trying to find, well, some other people on Twitter were trying to find, you know, conservatives this week are up in arms about the diversity, equity, and inclusion, the DEI training programs. So I thought if we could find some gun manufacturers that actually have DEI training for their employees, oh, yeah, know, I saw, I saw as, a, as a failed as a failed attempt to get them to boycott gun manufacturers, but that'll never happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think that'll happen. Um well, uh, we we already mentioned at the at the top of the show, uh, the podcast, which uh, I, I I believe it is now not just Patreon knowledge but uh, public mm-hmm. knowledge that the you'll be doing a season soon that's recapping the good place um, called is is this the bad place is that or are this we in the this is bad? the bad place this this is the bad place mm-hmm. uh, which which may end up being the new name of the show. Um, cause not everybody is familiar with what the prophetic imagination station. It's very confusing to people, means. it turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if you recall. I, I initially started listening because my dad wrote an episode of Adventures yes. in the Odyssey. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a character in it. It was very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. so I don't know how far into it that was, but, but yeah, it is. Move, move well beyond the adventures and Odyssey topics and all that. Yeah, we were just talking about 
watching the good place with with our kids who haven't seen it before so, so maybe yeah we'll great time to rewatch yeah, listen listen to our podcast can i say one last thing okay yeah, yeah. i'm not a christian anymore i'm i feel a benediction coming however are you ready uh, oh here oh. we go okay okay if you are a child of the culture wars i'm talking to you right now you're listening to this you grew up you know, in evangelicalism, something like that. And you were, you know, grew up with the culture wars. Let me tell you something. You've survived a lot and you deserve to go on vacation and you deserve to be in your body and you deserve to have fun. That's this it. That's goes along say. with the saying in our house, which is non-binary people deserve to go on vacation. But kids <laughs> who grew up in the culture wars. Yeah, you it's true. Vacation, mm. babes. Like, and I know not everybody has money. There's ways to do it. You know, it doesn't have to be Disney. And Disneyland's not there. just for mission trips. <laughs> <laughs> my, my brother went there on a mission trip. Uh, what, what yeah. are we like, I am yes. not giving you money. <laughs> on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. <laughs> here's, wow. here's the four. Here's the four spiritual laws track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thank, thank wow. you for that, though. Yeah, that 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 is true. Um, yeah, I my I haven't been good at at taking vacations, and it's been something that's weighed on me. And so, mm-hmm. going there for the first time was a really big deal in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And and I definitely was looking forward to returning, not just to return to Disneyland, but to return, as I said this ritual thing, we return to places at different times in our lives. I was a Christian in 2019. Um, a lot has changed. Mm-hmm. And and going back to Disneyland and what it meant for me as a, as a father um, and just as my own person who has value... <laughs> Uh, was, it was, it was totally, it was a different experience and it was, it was profound. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't think this idea of it being, you know, children's entertainment should, should undercut, uh, the profundity of, of that experience. So, um, yeah, Okay. totally agree. Thank you again so much. And everybody check out the podcast. Um, maybe check Chris, out the books. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> our most current stuff is our podcast. This is the bad place, and my Substack, which is called Healing, this, is my special interest. The Substack but Crispin's, is phenomenal. Crispin's book, Attached to God, is amazing. Um, it's, it's still doing really well, and mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would say I, definitely check out his books. If you like Dorothy Day, definitely buy my book. If you're like one of the five people that is really into Dorothy Day. And if you listen to this because you love Disneyland, uh, yeah, we do have a Disneyland Instagram account where I took some fo- some photography. And, so good. So uh, moody. It's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> Called Highly Sensitive Disney on yep. Instagram. So, that's, that's yeah. good stuff. Thank you all so much for having me again, having DL the first time. Yep. And, Lovely to uh, meet you, DL. Thank yeah. you, Christmas. Oh, I thought you were I thought you were frozen there, which is another Disney reference, uh, of course. Right. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to be watching that this weekend at a, uh, one of Naomi's friends' birthday parties. Yeah, yeah. Frozen. Uh, my kids were not fans of it, so I've only seen it once or twice. Well, Dave, I hope you were taking notes. Um, Mental notes. 
mental notes. I hope I hope you found this uh, enlightening and uh, educational for mm-hmm. when your family goes. Uh, yeah, I think, I think there's I think there's uh, some good like practical advice in there, but as well as just you know, philosophical existential <laughs> ideas about the meaning of Disneyland or something. You know, it's, it's yeah, like yeah, a balance. I, I thought it was a fascinating conversation and I'm I'm glad they are really into Disneyland as well. And I we live in such a confusing, crazy, wild time, and who knows what's gonna happen with the election and everything next year. So I think the more people can go to Disneyland and experience the magic, probably the better. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Veterans of Culture Wars. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, we do have a Patreon for the show if you want to support us, even for as low as a dollar a month. So, um, yeah, check that out. You can also find us on Twitter at VCWPod. I am at Dave J. Lester. Zach is at Muzak, M-U-Z-A-C-H. And his website where you can check out his music and his vinyl records and all that is uh, Muzak.Bandcamp. Thanks again for coming on down to the VCW. And remember, as always, the podcast is free, but you still need to tithe 10%. And I didn't get to play this at any other part of the episode, so I'm going to play it right now. Here we go. Take it away, Ronald Reagan. And now, Walt Disney will step forward to read the dedication of Disneyland. To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Disneyland is your land. Here age relives fond memories of the past. And here youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future. Disneyland is dedicated to the ideals, the dreams, and the hard facts that have created America. With the hope that it will be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world. Thank you. And we're out.